The stories contained in this podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibilities for the stories contained herein. I'm Kendra Sheets. And I'm Rich Gill. And this is Enough, a podcast that aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn our community. Welcome to another episode of the Enough Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kendra Sheets. I am your other host, Rich Gill. And this is a episode of Subtext, which is our information-driven subset episode. Today, we are going to be talking about statutes of limitation. Uh, We're going to define what they are, talk about how they relate to abuse and rape, and just kind of give a overall broad view so people have more of an understanding of why they may be positive, why they may be negative, what kind of problems they might cause. And also, this is a pretty complex topic with a lot of particulars depending on the state or city or like where you live. So keep in mind, this is going to be pretty broad. We're not going to get too deep in the weeds about um, uh, a lot of the particulars, but we're just going to try to give you a little bit of an overview of what exactly it is. And like Kendra said, the positives and the negatives, depending on where you are. And you should definitely look up uh, the statute of limitations in your state, your city, your area. It changes based on the legalities that you're looking up, but it's always something that's good to know. No one assumes they're going to get into trouble, but it's always nice to have in your back pocket to be aware of. Absolutely. So The statute of limitations is a law that sets the maximum amount of time that parties in a dispute have to initiate legal proceedings. There's a number of reasons why a state may establish a statute of limitations. The main issue is that it can get more and more difficult to prosecute a case after a certain period of time passes. There are stories out there about how there is inadequate storage space to store evidence or facilities are built and have been moved or even lost. Uh, Witnesses may move or pass away. There are instances where rape kits are stored for years without even being looked at. That happened in Minnesota fairly recently. That's so sad. It is. It was awful. Look that story up on the internet if you have time. I encourage you to do that. So as we kind of talked about, there's a spread of statute timelines that each state has Every state kind of governs their own in regards to what they set their statute to. Um, Specifically, with these numbers, we're talking about uh, rape and sexual abuse cases. Uh, Those can change domestic violence. The timelines can change just regular statute for, you know, petty crime. That's also different. But right now, the stats that we're just about to dive into are specifically for um, sexual abuse. There are many jurisdictions that have 10 years or less as their limitation. 10 years includes California, Colorado, Illinois, Iowa, Montana, Texas, and Washington. And yes, we are going to go through all of the states here. Um, I think we hit all of them. We're hitting as many as we possibly can. So if you hear yours, just double check that your area is the same, like we talked about, you know, states are doing weird things and local governments are doing other weird things. So just check up on it, because what we're saying right now may not be exactly correct in your town. For eight years of a statute, that's Maine. Seven years is North Dakota. Six years is Oregon, Vermont, Arkansas, New Hampshire, and Hawaii. Connecticut's at five. Florida's at four. 
and good old Minnesota is at three years. Yay, Minnesota. <laughs> Jesus. Hooray, Midwest. There's also states that have more than 10 years. Pennsylvania is at 12. Georgia, Massachusetts, and Washington, D.C. are 15 for some forms of rape. And Ohio is actually at 20, which is shocking to me based on some of their other politics. And there are also a long list of states that have no statute of limitations in place for certain forms of rape or all offenses. They are Alabama, Arizona, Delaware, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. I don't know if you, uh, if anyone was taught the like 50 states song when they were younger and it was the states sung in an alphabet. That was like a good chunk of like the middle of the song in there for sure. Like it was just back to back states. So like, it's cool though, that, that there's that many places that have the, the, the no statute of limitations. It's nice to see that so many people are open to that, especially there's some in there that I'm. I was surprised. Yeah. yeah some of those, you know, may, maybe, maybe eventually we can get uh, the rest of those states. Let's start with Minnesota and get them up to like five years. Jesus, Minnesota. Yeah, come <laughs> on. For states that do have a statute of limitations for rape, many have an exception regarding DNA. For example, there may be a general statute, but it may warrant an exception if a match is found in the DNA database years later. Lots of us saw or read I'll Be Gone in the Dark and shout out to Ancestry DNA for catching the Golden State Killer, but really the advances in forensic research and technology is a great example of why removal or extension of the statute of limitations is so fucking important. And I kind of alluded earlier that I'm pro no statute. I think we both are. Why is the statute an issue? I guess, you know, as, as we've talked about so many different times before on the podcast, sexual assault has long-term effects. It has effects to your body, to your mind. It, it's emotional. It's physical. It's, it's so many different things. And studies have found that many survivors require years of recovery from all of the different injuries that accompany the crimes that are, are committed against them. Placing a requirement of a timeline on survivors saying, you know, you need to, if, you, if you're interested in outing this person, you need to do so uh, since speak openly and admit this abuse in this time frame. It's, it's like throwing, you know, one of those like cartoon clocks from like, you know, like Looney Tunes where it's like a ticking dynamite. It's like strapping them with this ticking dynamite. Like that's so panic inducing to just say like, you only have this much time to figure out if you want to basically implode your life. You know, we've talked every episode, I'm sure at this point about the ramifications of what happens when, or what can happen when people come forward and they speak openly about the things that have happened to them. The sheer idea of feeling like a survivor has to be ready by a very specific time is got to be so pressure filled that there are times where they just panic and they just don't act at all. It's just too much. The elimination of restrictions like this allows additional or supplementary evidence to possibly in be introduced or to be further reviewed in a case which could actually lead to a stronger, better version of that case to possibly prosecute the person. So while it may be inconvenient to have to store evidence for a period of time, it helps out people. 
So why would we not move forward with something like that? And there are times where a survivor just can't or doesn't speak up out of fear. But after some time, one person will speak up and then their action empower other survivors to come forward, which of course can also assist to building a stronger case if we're talking about this in a legal manner. A great example of this is Harvey Weinstein and the cascade of accusations that came about as soon as the first few women came forward. After so much time, I mean, everyone in the industry knew what was going on, but no one was willing to say anything openly. It was all kind of whisper network, inside jokes, you know, not even jokes, jokes in like a negative way. But the removal of these kind of time limits means that both individuals or full groups now have a chance, a much stronger chance to pursue some sort of justice. And I just want to point out, as we were talking about the Weinstein thing and like jokes and bringing it up, I think Courtney Love actually was one of the first people to speak openly about that. I believe it was an award show where she sort of alluded to that. And that was before anyone was talking about it. That was years ago. People knew about that forever and no one was saying anything. And also, if you have some free time uh, and haven't done so, read Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. I mean, it's it's phenomenal because when you you hear such abbreviated versions of what people have had to deal with in regards to this, you're like, oh, you know, they're going to lose their career. Harvey's going to blacklist them from Hollywood. It is so much more than that. I mean, going into the the death threats, you know, the the career explosions coming after family members. I mean, it is some severe stuff. They had a full on like black ops like team going after people on Twitter and through email. I mean, it is some very intense stuff. And of course, not everyone's going to have Weinstein money to do something like that. But it's just an example on a much larger, more monetarily driven scale showing what some people will do to kind of keep themselves preserved as the the public version of themselves and not have their actual actions come out. Evan Rachel Wood, as documented in Phoenix Rising, worked tirelessly to assist with the passing of the Phoenix Act in California, which raised the statute of limitations on domestic violence from three to five years, in addition to requiring police to undergo more intensive training on intimate partner violence. So often police are ill-equipped, ill-trained. We've all heard horror stories of people dealing with the police when it comes to abuse, rape, even harassment. If you'd like to hear more about how ill-equipped, go back to episode seven when we talked to Kate from the Surviving Justice podcast about what she went through when she went to the police about her assault. So the Phoenix Act seems pretty fucking reasonable. It's an opportunity to better shape laws to what people experience and what these films, long-form investigations, podcasts, and straight-up testimonials from people hammer home again and again. Trauma is messy. It's idiosyncratic. It's chameleonic. Simply put, it's not the same for everyone. And not just that, it changes over time. You don't realize things early on that you maybe do later on. A person's ability to see clearly is a slow process, even with the privilege of therapy and time. As Evan Rachel Wood told Trevor Noah when she was a guest on The Daily Show, quote, people underestimate the power of that kind of trauma and what it does to your body and your brain. This is what the laws do not reflect, the effects of trauma on the brain, end quote. 
Wood was in Manson's orbit for close to four years. When she began work on the Phoenix Act amid the Me Too movement, the statute of limitations in California was one to three years. Yeah, we said it went from three to five. It was one to three. We were giving it generous numbers. Yeah. One year is nothing when it comes to stuff like this. Not at all. And as she said, one to three years is nothing to a survivor. It's nowhere near enough. End quote. And it's not. It takes some people years to process the trauma they've been through. Our recent guest, Laura Danger, told us it took her until her 30s to realize this when talking about things that she had been through as a teenager. You know, statutes are there for a reason. Okay, fine. You know, we need to jump through the legality hoops. But what is their real purpose? Who are they helping? You know, if it's something where it turns out that their establishment or their time frame is helping the proposed abuser more so than the accuser and the abused, it needs to be something where we we reorient that. We need to start thinking about that. You know, if, if three if one year three years is not enough, let's up it to five. Five is not enough. Let's get it to ten. Let's get Minnesota out of three for sure. <laughs> Way too low. And you know, let's let's hope that some of these other states that you know, eight years, seven years, three years, all of that move further into the ten plus category, or even into the part where there's no statute of limitations at all. Because if the excuses are there's inadequate storage space or you know evidence can degrade our technology and our science is getting better every single year month whatever it is you know it's getting better all the time so we need to find steps to revolutionize the process so we won't be losing these type of things we need to get them stored in now so down the line we will find the golden state killer or whatever it turns to be. We're, we're getting more DNA into the database. We're getting more information on file. They need to be stored properly. And we need to really think about who these statues are helping. If they're not helping the right people, if they're impeding on people, it's time for them to be reassessed. Enough is a podcast centering on surviving abuse, harassment, and assault in the music scene. To help get the word out, please like and subscribe and share with your friends. If you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone, be it artist, venue owner, booking agent, audience member, or someone else, and would like to share your story on a future episode, please reach out to us at thisisenoughpodcast at gmail.com. All correspondences are kept confidential.